Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Office Hours Career Pathways for PhDs. My name is Jasmine, and I am your host today. I am so excited to share with you all Dr. Ethan Decker. He is the president of Applied Brand Science, but he also earned a PhD in urban ecology from the University of New Mexico. We are excited to be able to have you on this platform. As I mentioned, you were someone that just gave me one you let me know it's going to be okay. Our very first conversation, you asked, you know, how are you doing? And it was right after I defended. And I was, you know, not in a great place in terms of just career outlook, but you were someone that not only did you connect with me, you gave me sound advice, but you also connected me with people in your network that landed me my first industry role. And so that was awesome. So I want to just learn more about you and also your journey. So tell me, what prompted you to get your PhD in urban ecology? Well, first of all, thanks for uh, calling me back at all, much less to chat with me about uh, this transition or opportunities beyond academia. Um, because as you know, yeah, I'm no longer in academia. Um, and it's great to see you again. It's just yeah. great to see you again. Uh, so what prompted me to get my PhD? Yes. Oh, man. Uh, well... Uh, I just have a thirst for knowledge and I wanted to learn and learn and learn and learn. And I wasn't quite ready just to, to get a job and I wasn't inspired to start a company or develop some new technology. So graduate school seemed kind of like the thing to do if you want to keep learning. Uh, and <clears throat> I had spent my undergrad studying culture and identity and politics at a place called Oberlin college in Ohio. And, um, it all started getting really slippery. Everybody had different theories or ideas about what gender meant and what gender was and whether gender was nurture or nature. And I wanted a little bit more bedrock, a little bit more solidity. So I pursued my second passion, which was my, my minor, which was environmental science and environmental studies. So I looked into getting a PhD in ecology and found a great place in Albuquerque to do that in. Now, going into your program, what was your career goal at that time? Ha, career goal. Who's got a career goal when they decide to get a PhD? Come on. I, I guess some do. Some do. But that's, the, that's part of the issue is that you go into a PhD maybe because you want to do the PhD or you, you assume it's going to help somehow. Uh, so I, I can't really say I had a big career goal. I guess in some way I did assume I would be a professor because that's kind of what you do with a PhD. Mm -hmm. And I was comfortable in academia and comfortable teaching. I like to teach. So it was a, a minor assumption, I guess, that I'd, I'd be a professor of some sort. And at what point during your doctoral studies did you maybe having a high moment or was there at any point where you knew that what your next step was going to be after you graduated? That I knew what it was or that it wouldn't be what I thought it was. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. So yeah, it was much more of that. It was much more that, Oh, um, I got to a point I was studying ecology and evolution and I was doing it from a very kind of statistical and mathematical approach, modeling, uh, ecosystems and doing stats. And I just got to this point where I felt like I was always going to be speaking a second language when it came to stats or computer programming. And some of my peers were kind of the opposite. 
So when you read academic literature, you know, I would read the words and jump around and jump to the conclusions and maybe skip over some of the harder equations. And my friends would read the equations and kind of skip through all the words. <laughs> so I knew we were kind of speaking different languages. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that was a sign. And then it was the thought of, well, do I really want to do 10 or 20 years of more computer simulations and statistics? And I just wasn't sure I wanted to do that, given my other interests and my other experience in culture and identity and politics and things like that. Okay. So you graduate, you successfully defend your dissertation. What happens next? Uh, you, you sit by the pool a lot. Okay. Drink a lot of beer, right? No. Um, you, you definitely unwind a bit. But uh, I was looking into, I was still looking into academia. I had a couple opportunities in national research labs for urban ecosystems, which was my specialty. Um, studying urban areas as if they are an ecosystem. And then I even got, I even got accepted into a postdoc at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, NCAR, up in Boulder. And, um, and it was a really prestigious postdoc, and it was a really neat program for the advanced science group. Uh, and I would be plugging my research into global climate research, global climate studies that NCAR was conducting. But again, that nagging feeling of, uh, is this really how I like to spend my day to day? Mm -hmm. uh, or do I like to do other things like design shirts and <laughs> uh, be part of culture? And so uh, at the same time, I had an, a buddy from high school say, hey, I, I think I'm going to take over this magazine in the outdoor industry, um, canoeing, hiking, guiding, rafting, mm -hmm. you know, canyoning, that kind of stuff. Uh, do you want to be my editor? So I had a choice uh, and I, I chose to jump ship. What was that process like for you? Well, let's say first day on the job and you're now, you went <laughs> from one field working with Noah to now magazine editor. Well, I, I think we have to go back a couple steps because, okay. because one, one issue is, uh, I did not have any help in grad school, really, to think beyond the traditional academic or research posts. Okay. You know, I think that's, that might be either a failing of me because I didn't seek it or a failing of the program because they didn't offer it. But you'd think that there would be some kind of support and guidance to say, hey, you're getting a PhD. Here's one thing you could do. You could be in academia. Here's a you know, professorship's. You know, you can compete against 175 other people for that one opening in Illinois. <laughs> uh, here's another thing you can do. You can work in a research lab and here's the, you know, 3000 research labs around America. But here are 12 other things you can do with a PhD in ecology. Mm -hmm. And some of them are kind of crazy. Like you could work in, you know, Hollywood um, or you could work in healthcare or you could work in market research or you could work in market. Who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, so there was, I feel, a big gap in my experience mm -hmm. about exploring the huge space of opportunities okay. for someone with a PhD. Uh, and that that was a piece that that we need to fix. And I think this is what you're trying to do is yes. fill that gap. That is our goal. That is yeah. our goal. So now yeah. with that, you work with your friend, editor for a magazine, 
Tell me about your transition from magazine editor to now working in what you call brand science. Was that an immediate leap or was that something that took a while to get there? I I stumbled into it ass backwards. (laughs) Okay. Slowly and over a few different, you know, waterfalls falling down. Um, Yeah. So the biggest leap was the leap out of academia, the leap out of the known rut, the known path, uh, taking that postdoc and then turning that postdoc into a research career or a teaching career Mm -hmm. and just saying, I'm going to be an editor of a magazine. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I was, I was okay at being an editor. I was a pretty crap publisher because I had to be the publisher too. And the publisher is the money person, the business person. Uh, I was was crap at that. So, um, so that didn't last. We, we kind of sank it pretty quick. mm -hmm. And, uh, and that meant I had to look around and think of something else to do and ended up connecting with another graduate from Oberlin that happened to live here in Boulder. Uh, and she was at this market research firm and market research seemed like a pretty good fit because it's about culture, but it's a scientific approach to culture. It's about shopping and buying and commerce, but it's, it's the side of it, which is kind of researchy. Uh, so not only did I do the research, but I also designed the presentations and the reports and did those presentations and reports and uh, started to have some success in business. And then that led to, not just market research, but then doing marketing and advertising for some big companies. So I've, I've done that for 20 years now. Now, so you, you get into market research, but we, we know that academic research and market research are not the same thing. So what are some ways you were able to take that PhD research skill set, but then translate it into a very high touch high-impact, fast-moving space that we know as market research. I love you said that was such a straight face. Like, no no grimace, no glimmer of, like, the pain of the difference. You know, I save that for therapy. Save that for therapy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it, there, there is a significant difference. And it's a, you're right, it's a difference in tempo. That's for sure. Uh, there's a difference in what's prioritized. Uh, in academia, I think the priority is, well, the gold standard, of course, is publications. Mm-hmm. And you're measured by your publications. And for that, you're measured by your rigor. And rigor matters sometimes even more than novelty or utility. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you don't have to do something new. You just have to do it really, really well with five different statistical methods and, you know, seven different control groups uh, and three replications and it's really rigorous, but it might not be that useful or it might not be that relevant. Um, and it might take forever. Yeah. But in business, businesses, uh, well, I like to say a lot of business should follow Colin Powell's theory about intel in the theater of war, which is okay. if, you, if you don't have 40% of the knowledge, you're acting in haste. But if you have more than 70, you've waited too long and things have changed already. Okay. So the 4070 rule or the Colin Powell 4070 rule or whatever it's called. I love that because it makes you realize you've got to be comfortable operating in this middle ground of enough info to do something, but not so much that you've, you've got, you know, 98% confidence intervals. <laughs> um, you you got to move quick. And, and so it, it, you have to change quite a few things, quite a few things. To, to go from doing research in the in academia to doing research like market research. 
And what are some of those things? So a lot of our viewers, they will be or they are people who are currently in their doctoral programs or their recent graduates looking to join the workforce. So at a high level, if you can recall, what are some specific things that you were able to shift about how you approach research in order to be successful at an agency? For market research in an agency? Yes. Okay. Um, okay. One of them is that my biggest theory, I, I know I told you this, is in the real world, you're going to triangulate among imperfect sources. <laughs> right? Remember that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to have a smattering of qualitative info from talking with people. You're going to have a couple industry reports. Maybe one of them is from England instead of America. Uh, one of them is from 2012 instead of 2022. Uh, you're going to have stuff that's on the wrong brand or it's on the right brand, but the wrong, you know, sub brand. And you're going to have to triangulate among these imperfect things to come up with something good enough to act on. So that's one big difference is being really comfortable with good enough. And uh, I used to work at Crispin Porter, Bogusky, this fairly famous agency. Um, and uh, they had a, a tagline, which was good enough sucks <laughs> because they wanted great. They wanted greatness. They wanted you to push you harder. And I love that. And at the same time, I also have this other countervailing theory, which is uh, great is the enemy of done, <laughs> right? So good is the enemy of great, but great is the enemy of done or of shift, they say in, in, uh, in software. So good enough is often good enough because business moves quickly, because it's never perfect, and because you'll never have 100% certainty. Right. So that was one big thing, triangulating amongst you know, imperfect data. I remember I was working on a project at the agency that you referred me to and I called you and I was like, I don't know how to write an insight. How do I write an insight? Because that's something that everyone was so focused on. I was comfortable with doing the research, but then there was a language of market research that I wasn't familiar with, but there was also the writing part that I just had no clue about. So can you share more about the importance of understanding how to write for a market research environment versus writing for academia? Step one, short words. Use short words. Words that sound like this. <laughs> Ask not what your country can do for you. <laughs> one small step for man, right? Some of the best things ever, to be or not to be, are short, short words. And that's, again, the antithesis haha, of <laughs> academia, where people love really long words because they're exceedingly precise and, and become part of the in-club of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So use short, simple words. That's one big thing. And then another big thing is um, your goal in business, your goal in, in writing for market research, let's say, is to get to a point about the impact of the research. Mm -hmm. What's it going to do? What does it mean? So one thing I like to say is, of course, put your, put your methods in the appendix mm -hmm. and maybe have links to them in the deck if you need to or something like that. But the methods should be almost the last thing you give airtime to because if you're a market researcher 
you're not usually talking to other market researchers. You're talking to the business leaders. You're talking to the CFO or the CEO. You're talking to people who, who want to know, what does it mean? What does it mean? What do I have to do? So, um, so put your methods in the appendix and lead with your headlines. Make your headlines your headlines. And this is, uh, if anyone ever uses PowerPoint or InDesign or Canva, I don't even care what tool it is. The biggest letters on the page should be reserved for the things that matter the most, your points, and then work backwards from that to anything else. That's awesome. So now with your experience at the market research company, how long were you there before you transitioned into your next role? I was at Radar Communications or Radar Research for two years. And then one of my clients tapped me and said, hey, uh, do you want to do some strategy for us? And I said, I don't know what strategy is. And he said, oh, come on, I'll teach you. So I worked at 72 and Sunny for two years, uh, commuting from Boulder to LA. Uh, and I called my Boulder branch 27 and Snowy. And, uh, and then uh, after two years there, I adopted a couple of foster kids and wanted to be home more. So I looked for uh, local opportunities and found a great gig at a place called The Integer Group, which is part of TBWA. And it focuses on shopper marketing instead of just consumer branding. Um, and I worked there for about nine years and then uh, headed over to Crispin Porter for another couple of years. And now I've been running my own shop called Applied Brand Science for about four years. Now, what prompted you to take the leap into entrepreneurship? Mm. Um, well, one piece was the market was just tanking and Crispin was just tanking. So I was on some sinking ships and given my, uh, my preferences and my priorities, I wanted to stay in Boulder, uh, have my kids still get the support systems they had here and see their sister who lives with a different family who adopted her. Um, so uh, the best opportunity I saw was to um, build up my own consulting firm. And it was also about the right time I felt in the industry to be advertising adjacent instead of just in advertising because advertising is a really tough business. Um, and it's a, uh, the mo the business model for the biggest companies isn't a great business model. So being a consultant now, I, I work directly with some really great clients. Um, I get to, to really give them the value of my 20 years of experience and my brand science uh, approach to things. And I don't have to have a ton of overhead and, and, spends eight hours debating whether slide five should be slide seven. <laughs> I understand that all too well. Uh -huh. Now, what is brand science? Brand science is really simply, what are the scientific things, the actual empirically proven shit that we can say about brands? Because branding, as you know, Everybody's got a theory about branding and everybody can say whatever they want about branding. Uh, and there are trends and fads and they come and go and you can look back in the past and see some things uh, that like uh, permission branding. I don't know if you remember that permission marketing. Oh yeah. Yogi yeah. was really into this. Like at some point consumers are going to control the, their access to them because of social media mm -hmm. and brands are going to need to ask for permission to connect with you instead of interrupt you during a sports game or a, you know, an episode of friends. 
to, to blab at you mm-hmm. and you're going to need permission. Well, that's apparently not so true if you've scrolled through Instagram. <laughs> um, so, so like there are trends and fads and things and brand science quite simply says, what are the, the foundational principles and the empirically true and more universal things we can say about how brands work. When I say brand, I don't just mean color and logo. That's little, like little B brand. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, my color's orange, my logo's this little fractal star. Mm-hmm. But big B brand is what's your reputation? Got it. What are you known for? Uh, and that's everything you do from the products you make to where you're sold to who your, who your CEO is, you know, like Tesla is nothing without Elon Musk. Those two brands are totally intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> what's the science of that? And that's what brand science is, is really getting to that bedrock. And what types of methods do you employ with applied brand science? My main thing is to look at the science. And again, I've got this background in academia, so I can read the academic literature, but because of my background in academia and my experience in the business world, I can also look at all the business uh, research. There are studies and reports and industry papers all the time. They're not peer reviewed, but maybe they're sitting on the biggest data set in the world. You know, and the peer reviewed study got to interview 112 kids on the University of Colorado campus. Got it. So, uh, so I look at all of that and I, first of all, figure out what are the empirical truths. And then I come up with ways to help my clients apply it in the simplest, easiest, most impactful ways. So they don't have to know the science. They don't have to be scientists Mm -hmm. to benefit from understanding what the science says about how to grow their business. Now with your company, what's been an exciting project that you've worked on that you feel really proud about, or is it something that you would have never thought that you'd work on back when you were a PhD student? Or would that be everything? <laughs> it, would be, it would kind of be everything, right? Like we said, I didn't know what my career quite looked like. In fact, way back, I also thought I might run a, a small outdoor school or outdoor education program, Okay, whether it's like Knowles or Outward Bound or um, the High Mountain Institute or some places like that. Um, but uh some things I didn't think I'd, I'd be doing, um, watching guys shower. I didn't think okay. I'd be doing that. Granted, they wore bathing suits, you know. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but I was there with a camera person. <laughs> wow. And so this was a, a study that a client commissioned, mm-hmm. and you were responsible for watching guys shower, and there was a camera. Okay. Tell us, I would love to learn more about that. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> Uh, so this was a big soap maker, one okay. of the you know top three, top four. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make shampoo and body wash. So they wanted to understand body wash. Okay. So this was back when body wash was still kind of a new thing. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to know firsthand from the real world, what what's it like? And our methods at Radar were, let's go out into the real world. Let's go out into the wild mm-hmm. and let's go be with people and just be be real with them. And I'm enough of a goofball that I can kind of, you know, build a little bit more and make them feel okay and comfortable. It's not like I would take off my shirt to to be with them, but, (laughs) but at least I'd, I'd show, I'd say, yeah, this is really weird, but it's really funny and fun. And let's just do this. Uh Um, And 
the camera person was always great. And so we'd have this great little dynamic and we'd say, okay, so if you're showering, what's it like when, you know, you're trying to, to use body wash instead of soap. Okay. And so that was a piece of the puzzle was, uh, or a piece of the study was how does body wash different from soap? Wow. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't think I'd be there watching guys shower. Yeah. I haven't done a study like that. So <laughs> that is interesting. Now with your company, Applied Brand Science, what industries are you working in? Do you work across all industries? What does that look like for you? I work with a lot of CPG, consumer packaged goods. Okay. So uh, food, beverages, clothing. Well, clothing's not CPG, clothing's apparel. Um, but uh, a lot of food and beverage, a lot of uh, healthcare and body care and things like that. Um, I also have worked with major appliance manufacturers and furniture makers. Um, and uh, one of my projects right now is with the world's largest um, foundation in the Jewish community. Okay. Uh, so studying Jewish life in America. That is so awesome. It's a big range. And it ranges from small startups, uh, some right here in Boulder, to some of the world's biggest brands. And I remember... So the way I even came across you, I was watching a webinar for QRCA and I was like, oh, this guy has a PhD. What is he talking about? And so you were talking about brand science and that appears to be a great way for people with a very uh, strong research skill set to build business and build awareness about their company is to create a project or design a project from end to end and then present those results. So Tell me more about some of the ways that you've built business using, you know, research that maybe that you've commissioned or research that you own. You're exactly right. That's a way to, to get yourself out there, to get noticed, to um, to let people know you even exist, which is always the first problem. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, to go from a nobody to a somebody. And uh, you can do that by telling your stories. And uh, the way I do it, I tell some of them. Some of the stories are my own stories. Uh, I talk about watching guys shower or I talk about trying to um, rebrand the one of the world's oldest brands, the Judaism itself. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about selling pizza because I worked on Domino's for a while or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But then I also tell other stories that make the important points about brand science. So I might tell the story of the time um, IHOP changed their brand name. I remember that. That was the, yes, I saw that, that video. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, they started, they teased the world and said for our 60th anniversary, we're going to go from IHOP to IHOB. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, what the hell? What's it going to be? Is it house of bacon, house of biscuits, house of breakfast? And then they reveal a week later, it's international house of burgers. And everybody lost their shit and said, <laughs> no, no, get stupid. That's dumb. Why would I go to IHOP for burgers? And lo and behold, they sold 400% more burgers because of that campaign. Awesome. And I didn't do it. I think Droga5 did that, an uh, ad agency um, that does some really cool work. And they're, they're back east. And um, I tell that story because what I love about that story is that the, the assignment was, please help us get more dinner patrons. IHOP has breakfast and they have late night after the bars close. Mm -hmm. And please, we're open during dinner. Help us bring in more dinner customers. We're going to do a new and improved burger to try and do that because burgers are hot. The market research shows 
burgers are trending, right? You got smash burger, five guys, all the burgers. So um, they wanted a, a piece of that burger action. That's kind of a traditional assignment. And you could see a very traditional new and improved burgers at IHOP. Burgers at IHOP? Burgers at IHOP. And that would be the end of the story. Nothing in the data would tell them that they should tease a name change. Wow. You know, nothing in the data suggested, hey, let's let's tell the world we're going to change our name to House of Burgers. Mm-hmm. And, and that the, the world would lose its shit and then talk about them and then say, you know what, actually, let's go check out those burgers. So I love that story because there's a piece of it which is data-driven and then a piece of it where it's not. But if you know the principles of creativity and the principles of brand science, you, know, you would understand why that works. And you'd understand when you see that crazy harebrained idea from the team that says, you know what, let's just change our name to House of Burgers. Why the hell not? Mm-hmm. You'd say... Yes, let's do it instead of shoot it down. Got it. So what's next for you? So you've been, you're the president of Applied Brand Science. You've been doing this for a while now. Is there a new industry you want to go into? Is there a new branch of business you want to explore? What are, what are your next either business or research goals? Business goals are, um, I think, to continue to find and work with people who are really excited about what uh, what brand science brings and the fact that brand science doesn't kill creativity in the same way that engineering doesn't make buildings look ugly. Engineering just makes sure that they stand up and then you can have gorgeous buildings of all different types. Um, so I continue to look for clients who really want to understand the brand science to grow their brands and want to cut through the BS and the crap uh, to, to build their business. And, uh, and then after that, I think... Um, I've got a book in the works that I'm I'm starting to work on based on brand science, which I'm currently calling laws and levers. So the laws and levers of brand science and the laws are the things that always happen just like gravity Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the engineering that holds buildings upright. And then the levers are the creative and strategic choices you can pull different levers you can pull Mm -hmm. that, uh, that could lead to success, but that you need to understand, um, to do, to win. Okay. We have a segment titled mentorship moments where it's just you sharing all the advice or any of the advice for someone who is either a current PhD student or they've recently graduated and they are wanting to explore their options. You can either share the advice that you gave to me or just what advice or even words of encouragement would you share for someone that's wanting to do something different outside of the academy and and but still also make an impact and still use their their research skill set. I would say the biggest piece of advice I, I give and I, I lecture sometimes and I've guest lectured and taught a couple courses is um, don't go out begging or groveling for work. Go out into the world as an explorer, as an interviewer and interview people anyone you want, anyone for it, come up with a silly trumped up reason. Hey, Jasmine, I saw that you, da, 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 you know, you went to Oberlin. Can I ask you about your world, your experience? Can I ask you what it was like to go from Oberlin to California, whatever it is? I don't, you're not in California right now. I'm not. <laughs> no. um, but uh, 
don't think of it like groveling for work. Think of it like interviewing other people to explore what's even out there. And that should give you permission to email or call anyone who's doing anything interesting and say, hey, how did you get to where you got to? You can ask about them personally, you can ask them about their company, or you can ask them about their industry. And that should fill up 20 minutes. If they're in your neighborhood, take them for coffee, for God's sake. Pay for the coffee, take them for coffee. If they're nice, they'll pay because they're the ones who have a job. No, <laughs> insist. But you should offer. You should say, can I take you for coffee? I want to pick your brain about stuff because I'm about to get my, my degree. I'm about to defend. And I'm really curious about how the hell you blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just do that as much as you damn can, as much as you can, because you never know what's going to lead to what. Right. And you don't even know the job opportunities that are out there. You have no clue. So you're going to talk to some filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, actually, no, the filmmaker needs a scientist who studies blah, 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 blah. Holy shit. Next thing you know, you're on some film crew going to, I don't know where, Ireland. That sounds um, amazing. Yeah. I <laughs> if anybody that. watching wants to do that, I'll make myself available. Sounds very fun. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'd say. That is awesome. Well, Dr. Decker, thank you so much for sharing just your time with us. Let us know or let our viewers know where they can learn more about you. Where can they connect with you online? Well, Dr. Goodman, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. By the way, only my my friends and colleagues call me Dr. Decker, and that's to just take the piss out of me. It's um, so weird sometimes, especially when you're working in industry, right? Dr. Decker, paging Dr. Decker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if people want to reach out to me, I'm available all over the interwebs. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn pretty regularly, uh, E.H. Decker, Ethan Decker. Uh, I tweet a fair bit, uh, unfortunately. And um, I have a website, Applied Brand Science, where I keep all of my blog posts, my articles about brand science and more info about what I offer.